Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, this is the sweaty edition, isn't it? Well, that's because it's super hot out. Exactly. I'm melting. Okay, if you say so. Yeah. We have air conditioning. Yes, but the fact that I'm packing myself in ice should tell you I'm melting. You know, this is nothing like, oh, I don't know, what we're probably going to be dealing with when we go down to mid-Ohio. So this is just prep work. If you insist, but I'm still ever hopeful for a cool weekend in mid-Ohio. We can cross our fingers and hope. But anyway, you know— at first, this kind of looked like it was going to be a slow weekend in auto sport. And then, oh, yeah, there's that, that whole 24-hour race thing that was going on. <laughs> <laughs> when the entire auto sport world focuses on 24 straight hours of endurance racing. Yeah. Can I just tell you how crazy I think that race is? Oh, it is an insane race, without a doubt. At every level, it is an insane race. I mean, we watched a bit of it, and seeing it, you know, like we saw it maybe an hour or two after they started yesterday for a little bit, and then we saw the last hour or so today for a little bit, and those cars look like they have been beaten in a demolition derby. Oh, yeah. I mean, all the the gunk and everything that is sprayed on them for hours upon hours on end. They are... The only thing that looks worse is a white car driving south in love bug season into Florida. Which is a lot of them. Yes. Typically with Canadian plates. Yes. Anyway, before we get too deep into any of the autosport stuff, we do need to do some housekeeping. We have to remember about this and, we, and, and not forget. Next weekend, the weekend of the return of the French Grand Prix, unfortunately, we won't have a show. We just won't have time to record one because we'll be down for part of the weekend at the Vintage Grand Prix over at Mid-Ohio. And then we've got other family stuff going the following day, which is basically takes all of that out. We'll be back the following week for the Austrian Grand Prix, not to be confused with the Australian Grand Prix. Which you will make that mistake about nine times. Please get out your beverage of choice to make a drinking game of the Austrian versus Australian Grand Prix. But we will be back for the Austrian Grand Prix. However, we will be off again the following weekend, which is the weekend of the British Grand Prix, and the weekend after that. Wow. Yeah. For once, I wish it to be made known. I want it written down on the official record. I'm sure there is one. That... Two of those three off weekends are not my fault. Okay, fair enough. We will be back in time for the German Grand Prix the weekend of the 21st. But then we will be off yet again the weekend of the 28th for Honda Mid-Ohio. So what you're basically saying is... As the F1 season gears towards the summer break, we are be taking our summer break about a month early. And yes, then right, F- right as Formula One has its, what, first ever three-week back-to-back-to-back week, that's when we're going. We can't, we can't keep up. Yeah. 
Um, I'm going to suggest that the July 21st weekend um, show, that we might have to break that into two shows. Because think about how much we will have to go through. There might have to be a recap show and a prep show. Because there's going to be so much. There's going to be like basically four weeks worth of stuff that we will not have been able to touch. Uh, not quite that much, but yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have some interesting shows coming up. We'll tide you over. We'll try and fill in the gaps as best we can. Long well, shows, you'll just have to break it up. It'll be a do-it-yourself multi-parter. <laughs> do-it-yourself multi You have a pause button somewhere in your system. There so you use go. Use it. Um, as long as I use the pause button and not the fast-forward button. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we will be back on a regular schedule in time for Formula One to go on the summer break. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so, now actual motorsports and activity. This weekend, as we mentioned, the 24 hours of Le Mans race, and I think rather unsurprisingly, the race was won by the number eight car for Toyota Gazoo Racing, driven by Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Buemi, and Kazuki Nakajima. And it was a one-two for the manufacturer because they dominated the LMP1 field. Yes. So I have two comments. Okay. Um, the first positive comment, congratulations to Fernando for his second jewel and his, his desire for the Triple Crown. I believe firmly that this, despite, we're going to talk about Fernando in a little bit, but despite anything else, I believe firmly that this is going to seal his fate heading towards IndyCar so that he can put all of his effort into winning the 500. Yeah, probably. Uh, but, so, and then my funny thought is, every time I have read the name Toyota Gazoo Racing, yeah. I keep wanting to say Toyota Kazoo Racing, which sounds so much more fun. Everybody wants to do that. Now, the it was a Toyota 1-2. Both the Toyota cars survived. Survived and finally broke the string of bad luck that Toyota has had for years upon years upon years. Some of the things that Toyota has done to try and basically prepare for anything is they looked at just about any worst case scenario that they could come up with to have the teams practice and walk through including several runs where they brought the car in after driving most of the way around a track i don't remember whether it's lamont or not but driving most of the way around track with the tire missing from the rim the idea being to simulate the team having to do an emergency pit stop for a puncture. Mm. And they did it in different parts of the car so that the team would have to adapt to it. Wow. I mean, they, they did all kinds of stuff. With missing body parts, changing body, you name it. Arms or legs? Fins. Oh, other body. <laughs> right. I'm like, what did Fernando have to unscrew in order to keep? going now it looked like it was going to be going a bit differently the seven and eight car both toyota's cars were, were regularly changing positions during the, the first six hours of the race um however the number seven car which was being driven at the time by um 
Kamui Kobayashi managed to get himself not one but two stop-go penalties. The number eight. No, the number seven. It was seven. Seven car. Um, it was Kamui Kobayashi, Mike Conway, and Jose Maria Lopez's car. Okay. Um, initially, the number eight got slapped with a 60-second stop-go penalty for speeding in the slow zone, which gave the number seven car of Kobayashi a lead of more than two minutes. So Alonzo came in, he clawed all of this back, and then got them within uh, within the lead, or, or within striking distance of the lead, and then Kobayashi, in the second to last hour, missed his planned pit stop. He had to cruise back around the majority of the lap to the pits, which then put the crew a lap down. Then he had to serve not one but two separate 10-second stop-go penalties for exceeding the fuel allowance and completing too many laps in one stint. Ouch. Yeah. So it wasn't a foregone conclusion that Alonzo was going to win this anyway. However, they are saying that it was, even without the issue that Kobayashi had, Alonzo was the one that put them in striking distance. Oh, wow. It was his stints um, that they picked up a lot of time off of. Wow. Yeah. It, it was, it was from what everyone says, it was a big drive from Fernando every time he was in that car. I wonder. Well, I'm glad to know that he was comfortable and enjoying it. I'm sure he's going to be utterly exhausted because keep in mind, for Fernando, we're coming into three straight weekends of Formula One, but Fernando will go five straight weekends of racing. Six. He had Montreal last week, this week Le Mans, and then, I'm sorry, no, you're right. I was thinking four. I counted. Yeah, you did. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I was thinking four, and no, I, that's right. It's it is. It's five. Five straight weekends of of racing. That's huge. So he's going to be one tired puppy by the time we get through. Um, now the good news for him is that there's not a lot of twenty four hour races on the calendar. True. The most of the rest of them are six to twelve hours. But still endurance races. Um, yeah, there's still endurance races. There's still long races and long stints in the car, but they're not 24-hour races. True. Um, so Kamui is a former F1 driver. Mm-hmm. Do you think that at any time Kamui was told Fernando is faster than you? There were some rumblings that somebody might have gotten that call. Just... Cause just cause, yeah. Interesting. So the the next question is, as you alluded to earlier, what does this mean for Fernando's future? IndyCar. I, I think you're probably right. Now, what Fernando is saying right now is that one, he's not made a decision. He's waiting till later in the year for that, supposedly. But he's also saying that it's not the performance of the McLaren that is going to make the decision for him. No. He says it's the state of Formula One and whether or not Formula One still interests him and excites him as to whether or not he will remain in the series. Okay, that is code for... Lying his pants off. His little seat's on fire in his (laughs) flame-retardant suit. 
Um, no, that is code for I'm going to go to IndyCar because IndyCar interests me and I want the Triple Crown. Keep in mind, there is less than no chance at this point that Fernando will ever get a Formula One championship again. He's a yep. double world champion now. He's now won Le Mans. He's, if he can clinch the 500, he and Graham Hill will be the only two drivers in history to have ever done that. And if he can figure out one more race that's a big deal, maybe he'll go over to NASCAR and win the Daytona or something. <laughs> um, I don't know. One more race to beat out Graham Hill, he can, you know, have that step I, by himself. I, I suspect what he would shoot for would be actually the IndyCar championship. Mm-hmm. That, that's my suspicion. He wants the 500, but I think that would be the next target would be the IndyCar championship because there are very – actually, I don't think that there are any, with the exception of maybe an Andretti, but I don't know, but there are any Formula One world champions who have also won IndyCar. We'll have to check that out, but I think you level. are right. Because typically, once they get the Formula One world championship, they don't – typically tend to contest other series correct and certainly as in this era of formula one where they are not hopping into everything that mm-hmm. that has wheels i mean the jim clark era it, they were competing in formula one and formula two at the same time yeah if there was a race they were probably driving a car in. now your other favorite formula one alumni well i don't know about other because Probably your favorite Formula One alumni. Jensen Button, of course. Jensen Button was also running in the number 11 car for SMP Racing. And they were running in, I believe it was the LMP1 series. And unfortunately, didn't do too well. Aww. Uh, the car had some electronics issues. And uh, they were left trailing by nearly 50 laps from the outset. They did about 18 laps, I believe, and then brought it in and did what they could to work on it and didn't really get very far. Ultimately, they were classified 45th in the field total. And that would be out of 60 cars. Ouch. Yeah. And that was the whole field of 60 cars, which means in their LMP1 car, they were classified below the Porsches in the GT class and the BMWs in the GT class and the Ford in the GT class. Just as a side note to our friend of our show, Richard, who just listened to that and went, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> Remember that Le Mans runs 24 hours long, and I believe it's four different classes of cars yes. race on the track at exactly the same time. Different speeds. At different speeds with different setups. It, it, it's it's a dance, truthfully. Uh, the coordination of all of that that has to go on. But the person that's trying to pass you might not be in the same class as you. So it and you not I not actually be racing them, but they're still on the same track at the same time. It, it's crazy. So the other one that will the other Formula One alumni that we'll mention will be um, Paul Daresta. Oh, uh, 
he didn't have a great session either. Did he beat Jensen? Um, well, they were classified a little higher. However, and, and that was because they had moved his team. He was in the United Auto Sports number 22 Legier, um, which also is Zach Brown's team, United Auto Sports. Okay. Um, unfortunately, in the 20th hour of the race, he ended up in a significant wreck and hit an unprotected concrete wall in the incident. Ouch. Um, which knocked both of their cars now out at that point. Is he okay? Yeah, he's okay. He was taken to the medical center, and uh, uh, he escaped unharmed. Okay, so that's our news from Le Mans, right? Yeah, I was just looking at some of the, the other uh, results that might be of note. Let's see. Um, who else would you know? Let's see. Martin Brundle's son was classified 58th. Um, yeah, I had seen actually, and I can't find him now, Adrian Newey's son was also driving. There he is. Adrian Newey's son was in the other SMP car, uh, opposite Jensen Button. They actually managed to qual to uh, get classified in 16th place. Wow. Okay. So, in other series... If you're a follower of Top Gear, several years ago, you may recall when they were driving supercars through Europe, conversations about how the Swiss were not exactly friendly to performance driving okay. or to racing or any of that nature. Well, in 1954, and actually it was in 1955, they, they passed a law after... Um, a crash in Le Mans in 1954. Um, horrific crash uh, where I think it was the Jaguars got into a wreck. One used the other as a launch ramp and ended up in the crowd. Oh. Well, you've seen this video. We, we've watched this video. Um, BBC has a, 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 and I think it's actually on Amazon as well, uh, a documentary called The Deadliest Crash. Okay. which is all about this incident, and it's got video about it. Um, 83 spectators were killed, and 180 more were injured in, in, this, uh, in this accident. As a result of that accident, the Swiss said, we don't want any kind of racing in our country. And they passed a law in 1955 banning auto racing outright. Wow. So 1954 was the last time that there was any series that raced in Switzerland up until two weeks ago. What happened to change this? Formula E worked very hard with the Swiss to get that ban lifted. And two weeks ago held on, on June – actually, no, I'm sorry. No, it was one week ago. It was June 10th. Held the Zurich E-Prix oh, in wow. downtown Zurich which was the, the first uh, motor race that has been held in Switzerland since 1954. And this is not just a, a one-off. They have a six-year commitment. Whoa. Yeah. Now, the race took place on, like I said, Sunday, June 10th, which normally formally holds their races on Saturdays. 
This was done at the, they held it on Sunday at the request of the city of Zurich to minimize the disruption on the public. Okay. You figure you're opening up uh, racing after over 60 years. You could bend on the day of the week. <laughs> yeah. So Montreal. Yes. You know, I was stunned by the conf- – if, if you watch the, the um, ESPN coverage and, and the Sky coverage because it's the same thing, I was stunned by the confusion regarding how the flag situation should have been handled. Okay. These guys should have known this because, unfortunately, this is not the first time that this has happened. No. So what I'm talking about is about the middle of lap 69 is the best way to describe it. Winnie Harlow, the celebrity uh, starter, finisher, flag waver, whatever, waves the checkered flag. Besides the fact that she waved it early, she didn't even – normally when you wave the checkered flag, like which is what we saw the last time we had an early checkered flag, you wave it for the race leader. Correct. And then continue from there. Sebastian Vettel had already gone through, so she didn't even pick up the, the race leader when she ra- waved the flag. So ESPN and the, the Sky team had some confusion as to what this actually meant. Yeah, um, I remember them playing, well, the TV played the uh, Vettel commentary that uh, they needed to stop waving the red uh, checkered flag, race wasn't done yet, um, but they're like, that's an, um, it's a lap too soon. Did, did they well, end the race early? Does the mm-hmm. stuff that happens after that still count? Well, here's the reminder of how this works. Once that checkered flag is shown, no matter when or where, that is the end of the race. Okay. So lap 69, which is when she pulled out the flag, that ended the race. So everything that occurred after she waved the flag didn't count for anything. However, because she didn't pick up Sebastian Vettel for the— to, to signify the end of the race, they actually rolled it back to the standings as of lap 68 because that was the last full lap that was completed by the race leader when the flag was waved. Wow. So instead of running the full 70 laps, they only counted 68 laps of the race, which means the battle that came up between Valtteri Bottas and Max Verstappen didn't count. Right. Which is good, since Bottas still won that battle. Now, what the FIA has been saying about this, specifically Charlie Whiting has been saying, first and foremost, this was not Winnie Harlow's fault. Okay. She we hit, will she, take her picture well, off the dartboard. I, I'll explain what because apparently she has gotten a lot of hate for this. Oh, poor girl. Um, from a lot of different directions, she caught a lot of hate for this. And Formula One and the FIA have actually apologized to Winnie for this. Wow. What she had done was she was listening to the guy on the starter platform, the actual official from the race marshals. He was the one who told her to wave the flag. 
there was a miscommunication between him and the actual starter as to what to happen. The guy who was on the platform telling her what to do thought it was the last lap, asked race control to confirm it. They confirmed it. They thought he was making a statement when, in fact, he was asking a question, and he, sh- he had her show the flag a lap early. He told the flag waver to wave it a lap early, so it wasn't anything to do with the fact that it was a celebrity flag waver. Oh, wow. So it was not Winnie Harlow's fault. No, I feel sorry for her because social media can be absolutely vicious. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, Sebastian Vettel, very concerned about this. He was on the radio, like you mentioned, because what tends to happen, and especially when the flag came out at the odd point that it did, there was a lot of confusion, not just in the, in the commentary box, but all around the track as to what the heck was going on. So Vettel was concerned, one, from a perspective of some drivers picking up that, that checkered flag because it wasn't even out the whole time. Some drivers picking up the checkered flag and slowing down and going through their post-race procedures. Other drivers not getting that checkered flag and still driving in race conditions Mm -hmm. coming up on these slower drivers. Problem number one. Problem number two, what tends to happen at the end of the race is marshals and others start to come out onto the track to wave flags. Fans may may start to pop out for podium ceremonies and stuff like that. He didn't want any of that happening. I don't blame him. I mean, it's yeah. it's a huge concern. He was very concerned about the confusion that this was about to trigger. Well, I think that one of the things that you and I talked about in pre-show prep, did mm-hmm. we call it that? Did, did we do that? Um, was that the fans do tend to rush the track as soon as that checkered flag goes. You know, the poor drivers, you don't think about it when you see it on TV, but they're dodging fans as they're doing their cool-down laps to get back Mm -hmm. to the pits and and do their post-race procedures. They're dodging people because people are rushing onto that track quickly. Oh, yeah. So... Now, Seb had radioed, also radioed back to the team to find out what was going on because on his dash, and not all the drivers have it, but on his dash, he has a lap counter. Mm-hmm. So he knew that this wasn't right. He radioed the team trying to find out what to do. The, the team told him keep going because even he didn't know what was going on at this point. Right. So the FIA is now looking at maybe rethinking the end of race signal. Now, this isn't something that happens often, although in 2014, um, in the Chinese Grand Prix, they waved it. That, that's how I knew what had happened because when we were watching it and I saw her pop out the flag, I looked at you and I said, well, that's it. Vettel just won, yep. even though the counters were off. Um, we had it happen in China. They ended the race uh, a lap early in 2014, in 2002 at the Brazilian Grand Prix, um, Pele actually waved the flag too late. Oh, wow. Schumacher had already gone through, and then he waved the flag. Mm. So 
And apparently that was another uproar. Yeah, that was another big uproar uproar as well. Um, So Charlie Whiting is saying, you know, maybe we need to rethink the end of race signal and what we're doing to to do it. He says, you know, the the checkered flag is traditional, but it's something that, as we've seen, is prone to mistakes. You could, and it would be quite straightforward for us to make the big black panel show a checkered flag at the appropriate time. But if you're going to do it automatically, then you've got to think about exactly when you're going to do it and when you're going to activate it. It's not completely straightforward, he says. It needs a bit of thought. We need to try and get to the situation where drivers only look at the checkered flag on the light panel. If they don't see that, then the race hasn't ended. Whether we need to go to that length to rectify a situation that happens every 10 years is arguable, but it's something that I'm certainly looking at. Now, he said he also has no plans to stop F1 from designating VIPs to wave the flag. Again, going to our point, it, she wasn't to blame. He said, I don't think that there is anything that we need to consider, certainly at the moment, mo- not at the moment anyway. We need, may need to look at other things like the amount of people that get up there sometimes. That can be a bit difficult. He says, it's the same at the start. You often get people up at the start, and they tend to bring friends with them, and it gets a bit busy up there. Oh, yeah. And I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, that I would be in complete agreement with. You get the honor of um, waving the checkered flag or dropping the green flag, that kind of thing. It's you. It's not you and all your friends. Yeah. You know, there are there's actually stuff that has to happen and things that have to be communicated and you can't be distracted. And there's safety concerns and I mean, all the various stuff. We, we know what this is. I mean, we've actually experienced checkered flag waving. We did. Um, we didn't get to we were not the ones that were invited to wave the checkered flag. Though. No, but we got to be up on the starter stand at Nelson's Ledge uh, for the end of a session. Yes. So we're focusing all on the finish of the race because let let's face it once again we had a really dull race. It was so dull. I I think again we're looking at a situation where it was the tires that dictated it and dictated the pace and as a result we didn't get much out of it. True. Now Sebastian Vettel says um He says, racing is like this. He doesn't think it's justified to criticize the racing or criticize this race. He says, I don't know if it was boring. From my point of view, obviously, it's still busy inside the car no matter where you are. But I don't know why people today are so short-sighted. We had seven races this year. I think some were phenomenal and some were boring. And he's right about this. You can't make every single race a nail-biter, edge-of-your-seat situation. No. I agree with that. What concerns me more than anything else is we know why these races weren't so great. And that, I think, is something that should be addressed. Well, I think you're right there. I think where we see a disconnect is there are specific racetracks that we know are going to be exciting. Mm -hmm. I hesitate to say in my out loud voice that anybody that says that the Monaco Grand Prix is an exciting race has never watched it. It is not. It's processional. Recently. Recently. 
it is processional it is it, it can have bumps and stuff but basically you're waiting for a crash and a safety car and that's about it you know when i think monaco is the most exciting is something that we have not seen in the years that we have been watching monaco when it rains true Rain in Monaco can can do different things to it. And I say that and I point that out to also specifically say, no, do not install sprinklers at Monaco. Okay, okay. <laughs> Good point. But my point is actually, historically, we know Montreal is a good track. We know it is a good race. It tends to have nail biting in it. It tends to be interesting as a, as a track. So when you have a track that has a history of being a decent track for a good race, not be a good track for a good race. Yeah. That's where I think the disconnect happens. Nobody expects Montreal, Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, even Singapore. I mean, Singapore is visually stunning, but Singapore, there's not a whole lot of passing in Singapore. Montreal, though, is one that has passing. Right. That's what I'm trying to point out. Okay. Is there's pass? There's supposed to be passing at Montreal. There's supposed to be some exciting things. That's the promise of Montreal. I've always looked at Montreal as the apology for Monaco. <laughs> Monaco is the glitz and the glam, but there's no passing. Montreal is a high-speed track with passing and room and all of those great things. And when you don't have that start happening, then everybody's going to start questioning. And unfortunately, people go down to the nth question before they ask the first question. They go to what's wrong with Formula One and not what happened. Well, you know, the concern I have is that I think the root cause of both races, both Montreal and Monaco, being as dull as they were goes right down to the tires and drivers driving slower than normal. And not pushing as hard as normal, specifically to preserve tires. Well, preserve tires, or you look at the Mercedes boys, the poor boys in Mercedes. <laughs> you know, they had to they had to stretch their engine an extra engine. So they were monitoring an engine that was on the end of life. They do, but Mercedes also said that they did not turn down these engines. And they did run them at full power. I'm sure they did, but they still, I mean... Yeah, it, it was still was, a concern... It was a concern. But but I don't think that was the reason for their performance issues this weekend. No. We'll get to Mercedes in a minute. Okay. Um, while we're still on the tub on, on the subject, I can't speak this this week. Um, while we're still on the subject of Sebastian Vettel. So last month at the Spanish Grand Prix, Sebastian Vettel said that um, he was really upset over the virtual safety car system and that it was possible to drive lines on the track that cut the distance needed to be traveled at the reduced speed and thereby gain the virtual safety car system. Mm-hmm. At the time, Charlie Whiting didn't agree with Seb at all and thought that Seb was absolutely wrong. However, um, they've done some further investigations And now Charlie says that he understands what Seb was trying to say. He acknowledges that a small gain can be made, and although such advantages are very small, the FIA is acting to close the loophole. 
Charlie says, I've worked it out now. The calculation that the system does every 50 meters is based on the distance from the timing line. So if you can shorten that, you can gain tiny fractions. The way we've calculated it with our software, guys, is you can possibly gain about 150 milliseconds per lap. But it's still a game. So he says, but in Formula One, that's worth having. That's the extent of it. As far as it was explained to me by our software people, we can rectify it and make it a bit more bulletproof. Or you can get rid of the virtual safety car entirely. Uh, that would be my preference. So the only other incident that really occurred was Brendan Hartley's wreck with Lance Stroll. Yes. And, of course, they're pointing fingers at each other and both saying it's the other's fault. And Lance Are we about is, to go through a Lance sucks ro routine from you? We're, we're not. Lance says that the car kind of broke free. And there, what I don't quite understand is why we have not gotten an answer to this question. There has been some talk that possibly Lance had a right rear puncture going into the turn at the time that he lost the car and the incident occurred. We haven't gotten a confirmation one way or the other as to whether or not that has occurred. Oh. However, Brendan Hartley um, was taken to the medical clinic for a checkout after this. Uh, he checked out okay. There okay. were two electrocardiogram tests, among other things. Um, he got normal results, so everything was good there. And uh, Lance had no issues either, other than the fact that he bent his car. All right. Don't worry, Daddy will buy him a new one. Yeah. So if the race had gone to 70 laps, if it had been classified at 70 laps, one of the questions that was going on as we got to the end was would Max be able to overtake Valtteri? Mm -hmm. um, apparently Valtteri had, in fact, uh, been trying to conserve the last couple of laps they were very concerned about the fuel situation in the car yes um to the point that he was he had lifted so much that at the actual 70th lap um max crossed the line just one tenth of a second behind valtteri wow so he had closed at that of course what we later found out was that it really didn't count for anything and it didn't matter that he was running low on fuel but they were having fuel issues. Well, originally they had had him push towards Seb at one point and he was burning more fuel um, to do that. And then they popped in. Then, then it was, okay, now we got to conserve because it doesn't look like you're going to be able to pass him. Yeah. So the team in general, not happy with the weekend. I, I don't blame them. Um. At one point, Toto was asked about Valtteri's drive and if they were they were happy with his second place finish because it was damage limitation and doing as, as you know as best as they could. And Toto's response was, um, "Not at all. It was a shit result for us. I have to put it like that. It is a strong, it is a strong track for us. But all weekend long, we did little mistakes from the beginning on. The only feeling I have is that we have to wake up. We fall behind in every aspect." This is a track where we should have maximized points. It was not about performing damage limitation. So when asked if the defeat would prompt consequences, Toto replied, that's necessary. We will look at that internally. There's now a huge naughty step at Mercedes. Um, no, I kind of read that as um, heads may be about to roll. Ouch. Yeah. 
they are not happy over at Mercedes. We'll talk a little more about that in a bit, but before we look forward, one more thing to look back at, and that is our fantasy GP results for the Montreal Grand Prix. Okay. Some teams had big results in the Montreal Grand Prix, but overall the standings stayed the same. In the last race, Agro's Puppet Racing won the week with 150 points. Patricia's The Bird Team was second with 146 points. The Boys' Moonlit Black Cats team was third with 126 points. Richard's Fly Fast was fourth with 118 points. Michael was back in fifth with 113 points, and Phil's Team Rocket struggled last week in sixth with just 98 points. In the overall league standings, Michael's Mach 5 Racing is first with 915 points. Patricia's The Bird Team closed the gap just a little bit, but stays in second with 896 points. Agro's Puppet Racing holds on to third with 887 points. After having a hard week, the gap widens to Phil's Team Rocket in fourth with 819 points. The battle for fifth remains tight with the boys' Moonlit Black Cats team at 696 points and Richard's team Fly Fast at 683 points. We may be well into the league, but remember, you can still join us with your week-to-week -week predictions by going to FantasyGP.com and entering the league code 148-31491. How can you not listen to that song and bob your head? <laughs> <laughs> I was cabbage patching. I don't know what you were uh, Well, doing. okay. Well, my, my question to you, are you jumping for Joy or jumping for Earl? <laughs> um, I have to say, I am thrilled that I was able to eke out a few extra points this past week. Yeah, and, and Phil, I think, had a really, the worst week of all. It was a rough week for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't break 100 points. That was a really rough week. Yeah. Well, anytime you're beaten by the boy. I... Yeah. Um, but, yeah, now coming up, we have France. Yeah, we have France, and it's the first time that we have seen the uh, Circuit Paul Ricard in Formula One in this layout. Um, it's been... Formula One has run at, at Paul Ricard in the past before, um, but there have been some changes made out of concern. We spoke about this a couple of months ago, out of concern for the speeds that be that are going to be achieved. There are some very, very long straight, high-speed straights at mm -hmm. Paul Ricard. So they, they've added some hairpins hair to try and um, break that up a little bit. But it really kind of makes you wonder as to what we're going to see. I would assume that this would mean that Paul Ricard would be a low downforce, high-speed track. I would assume. Now, I admit I also have not read the write-up from Fantasy GP about the track and about the weekend. But normally for a track like this, I would go, yeah, this is going to be a Mercedes weekend. But after Montreal, I don't know. I, I'm hopeful for Mercedes. Um, I think I'm holding off on putting my predictions in until we get practice through um, to see if that gives me any indication if Mercedes is going to struggle, but they should have a new engine. Yeah, they should. And, and at this point, even that's not confirmed yet. I know, because they're having issues. So 
I, I'm anxious to see what happens. I know the other big thing is how is Lewis mentally? I'm still checking in with Lewis's mental state. Well, I think you got to be you, you. You've always got to have that in your back of your mind when you're when you're betting on Lewis for performance. Yeah. Now, what Toto has to say coming out of Montreal around this is that we came to Montreal expecting our car, car to be really strong, and we are leaving seeing we haven't been where we thought we should be. That's why there is not the usual pattern, the historic pattern of cars being strong on certain circuits and then weak on others. I still think we are not pretty good in Monaco or Singapore. That may be the odd outlier, but you need to expect people to be strong everywhere. Um, he says, somehow this year, the margins have become so tight, five cars within a tenth. That's why this year's championship is going to be decided by the ones who make the least mistakes and bring the best development onto the engine on every single weekend, and that is the new reality. It's a three-way fight. Six cars can win races. You can't take anything for granted. You can't come to Montreal and think it's going to be a walk in the park because that's the kind of wake-up call you get. There you have it. So, yeah, I, I think, think everything gonna is... get his little house in order. He's had two weeks to do it, so we'll see. Yeah, the, the whip has got to be cracking over there. Our last story. Okay. If you are a fan of Spa, and is there somebody who is not a fan of Spa? I can't think of one. Well, if you are a fan of Spa, um, the circuit has secured a three-year extension with Formula One's owners, Liberty Media. Um, the current deal, which was supposed to run out to 2018, uh, will now be going through 2021. Wow. Yep. Um, that being said, the race loses money. Oh. Yeah. The race's annual operating losses are paid for by the local government and offset by the economic benefits to the region. It reports that 200,000 tickets have already been sold for this year's event, of which 75,000 are for race day. Wow. And, of course, a lot of this is boosted by Max Verstappen because it is so close to Belgium. Right. Or, excuse me, so close to Holland. It's in Belgium. It's in close, Belgium. Close so close. It's really close to Belgium. So close. It's right, <laughs> right there. there. <laughs> no, it's it's close to Holland. So right there, very man. close. Yeah. So the orange flags will be out in number. The estimate is that the proceeds for the local economy were 20.5 million euros in 2017, which was an increase in, of 21% from 2016. Well, Max is a draw. He is. He's Even a huge draw. Even when he's crashing, he's a draw. Yeah. Um, before you call it a show. Okay. Um, and repeat all of the time that we'll be taking off from the podcast over the next month and a half. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a small minor correction within our own show. What, we're, we're, we found an error while we were still recording. Yes. Normally, it's right after we record that we go, oh, crap, we screwed well, that up. Well, our, our in-studio audience found a fact-finding error in what I had said earlier about Alonzo and the Triple Crown. Okay. I need to correct. The Triple Crown is not the world championship of F1. Oh, it's Monaco. It's Monaco. Yeah. It's Monaco. It's three races. It's Monaco, Le Mans, and the 500. I mentioned this little minor detail because you are, in fact, correct. I did quickly check. There is no Formula One world champion who has also gone on to win the world championship of IndyCar. IndyCar. 
Now, I do want to make sure that everybody's very crystal clear about history because IndyCar and Formula One were in the same series yeah, up it, to 1961. And even through the 70s, there was weird confusion there because Formula One drivers and Formula One teams were still going to Indianapolis and running in the Indy 500 with heavily modified Formula One cars. Correct. That may or may not have earned them points in the Formula One championship. There's it, definitely it's weird. Definitely weirdness. However, um, in all the iterations that Wikipedia can figure out how to find <laughs> um, of the way to describe a triple crown of motorsports, the universally accepted decision is it's Monaco, Le Mans, and Indianapolis 500. Now, there are considered triple crowns among some of the other series. Like, there's three NASCAR races yeah. that are, they call themselves a triple crown. And there's three other, you know, there's three of the drag races. The I forget what they're NHRA. Really, yeah, NHRA. Uh, there's three races in the Indianapolis IndyCar series that they consider a triple crown, too, that are specific races. But to have the motorsport, Graham Hill is the only one. And he is an F1 champion. This is what leads me to my prediction, add it to the pile, that Fernando is going to leave F1 to drive full-time in IndyCar because he can pick up the triple crown of, of the races. And if he could pick up the IndyCar championship, which I don't think is honestly that far out of reach for him. He's an exceptionally skilled driver. But if he could pick up that championship, he would one best Graham Hill. I vote that Fernando Alonso is crap until he goes and he beats John Surtees' record of winning both the Formula One World Championship and the, the MotoGP Championship. I don't think he wants to drive MotoGP. I don't care. Surtees did it. I think Hamilton is headed that direction. He might be. But I, I think that I think we're going to see Alonso head off and dominate IndyCar for a season or two to get the 500 and to get the uh, IndyCar championship. I say Surtees is better. And then he will retire. <laughs> However, the bigger question is, will we ever see the end of Kimi Raikkonen? Um, no, Mumble, Mumble Face will not be going away anytime soon. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. <laughs>